tell us what you think in our fourth annual Your Money, Your Wealth podcast survey for your chance to win a $100 Amazon e-gift card. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes. The password to fill out the survey is pure, all lowercase. Help us make the podcast better and you'll be in the running for the 100 bucks. U.S. residents only, no purchase necessary. Survey giveaway closes and winner chosen at 4 p.m. Pacific time on August 31st, 2021. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 338, following on from last week's episode, what if your massive stock market gains are only in one or two stocks? Joe and Al discuss options for diversifying those concentrated stock positions, including using a donor-advised fund. Plus, how does the IRS know if a required minimum distribution is a qualified charitable distribution. If you need extra income in retirement, which pool of money should it come from? The fellows also offer their opinions on structured notes, and they help Mike in D.C. come up with a strategy to pay grandma for daycare without it negatively impacting taxes on grandma's pension. And should grandma take that pension as a lump sum or a monthly payment? Finally, some thoughts for those considering getting into financial planning as a career. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. I'm going to go to Julia from... I'm going to go to Judy from San Diego. <laughs> um, hello to the three musketeers of wealth. Well, that's nice of you, Judy. Uh, important stuff. 2015 Buick Encore. Uh, but I bought a two-passenger golf cart to drive around town. That's awesome. I wonder what kind of golf cart you got. Uh, pets, we got a Buster's, the dog, a Skookanoogle. <laughs> Schnoodle. Uh, uh, two cats. JJ, I like the Skookanoogle. That's pretty good. Uh, JJ and Meow. Um, happy, retired, busy volunteering for Humane Society and Hospice. Uh, could you ever volunteer for a hospice? I, mean, I this, oh. that wouldn't be my thing. I, I I applaud people that do, but that's that that would be tough for me. Yeah, and, and I mean there. I mean there's lots of stuff I can contribute to, but that that's that would that be would my be choice. Super hard. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I yeah. but I hand it to those that can. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my question: um, How does the IRS know that a withdrawal from an IRA is a QCD? If I understand correctly, I can start using a QCD. Qualified charitable distribution is a QCD, folks. Uh, once I turn 70 and a half, and if I understand that if I am born in March, I must wait until September to make the QCD. It must be after I turn 70 and a half. And I can make a QCD even if I don't start RMDs until age 72. For that matter, how does the IRS know the withdrawals an RMD? Is there some form I don't know about? I try to look online, but there's so many strange things out there. I gave up <laughs> yeah, and be came careful to you. Of on, on the online world. Uh, the spring of all knowledge. Thanks for the podcast, for the knowledge and the fun. Judy, San Diego. Well, for, first of all, uh, two correct statements. Yes, you have to wait till you're 70 and a half before you can do a QCD. So you, you can't do it earlier in that tax year. So that's true. And you can do it before your RMD start at 72. So that's a true statement as well. How the, how the IRS knows is they don't really know. There's not really good reporting on it. How you report it, if you're using TurboTax, there's a little checkbox, I think, that says QCD. You click it. It uh, The software puts QCD in the margin, right, next to what would, you know, so it shows up in gross, but not net. So in other words, you don't pay tax on it. But yeah, the IRS so far is a little bit behind on tracking these. So they don't, they really don't know. So let's say, 
they, she pulls a hundred thousand dollars out of the IRA, but thirty thousand of it is a QCD. Right in the margin, it's going to say you know, or seventy thousand is taxable, thirty thousand QCD. It's going to be like a, 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 a almost like a footnote on the tax return. Yeah. So what happens? Hundred thousand is in the gross. 70,000 is in the taxable and there's a little QCD in the margin. That, that's how it shows up on a tax return. All right, Judy, hopefully that helps you out. Uh, we got Jeff writes in. Uh, let's see, Joe and Al, for the past 32 years, my wife and I have worked in various international schools. I'm 57, my wife is 56. We plan to uh, uh, re, that's pa- re, pa- repatriate. Repatriating. Re, repatriating. Um, yeah, that's that's what it said. Okay, and reti- uh, and retiring next year, uh, we have accumulated roughly four and a half million dollars in a joint brokerage account. We have roughly six hundred thousand in a Roth IRA. We are wondering what our taxation options might be, considering the following: one, we hit the proverbial. Perver- yes, I knew that. <laughs> having a rough morning here. We hit the proverbial uh, home run with two individual stocks during the past decade, accumulating nearly $1 million in capital gains on each stock. While this is a good problem, we are wondering what our options might be for addressing these taxes. Ideally, we would like to sell out of these positions as we move into retirement. Doing this all at once, however, would come with a significant tax implications. What strategies might be we missing with a way to mitigate taxes when it comes to selling stocks in a brokerage account? Uh, do you want to tackle that one first, Big Al? Sure, sure, you bet. So we got um, Jeff has about a million dollars in capital gain from each stock, so it's about two million dollars in total. So if you're just strictly thinking taxes. Uh, then you would look at how much uh, how much you could have in, in taxable income before the capital gain rates goes from 15% to 20%. And for your, let's see, you're married. So for a married couple, that's it's about 500,000 or is it 600,000? Hold on, let me look that up. That's about 501. 501. 501. We'll call it 500,000. In other words, you can have about 500,000 of taxable income and those capital gains will be taxed at 15%. If you go over that, then whatever amount you go over will be taxed at 20%. So there's an extra 5% tax there. Furthermore, there is talk about changing the capital gains to ordinary income rates if if your income is over a million. So that hasn't happened yet. It's a proposal. Uh, If it does happen... I'm guessing it would likely be next year, but no one really knows for well, sure. Well, what did Biden just said? He, he said he wants it retroactive to April, but we'll see if that ever happens. Yeah, it's, that's that that probably won't happen, I'm guessing. But that's what he said. I understand. <laughs> it's, it would just be unusual. It's so, happened before. Well, it's not too much on the feds. California has. California loves retroactive stuff. But at any rate, so those those are those are a couple thoughts there. Now, on the other hand, if your stocks, if you think they've peaked and you're concerned, then I don't even worry about the taxes. I mean, capital gains are capital gains. You you diversify and you try to you you try to get into the right portfolio. But that would I agree that would be a pretty expensive uh, proposition to pay taxes on two million bucks. So I, I think that's what I would do. I would probably use that five hundred thousand dollars of income and maybe try to get these things um, sold over the next four years ish. So you're saying use the top of the the, the 
15% tax bracket. I think so. Yeah. And so if you go above that, you pay 20% plus the net investment income tax of another 3.8%. Yeah. Well, plus and you, already have, you already have that once you're over 250. True. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm sort of conceding that. That's an extra 3.8% you pay in capital gains once your income is over 250,000. They're overseas. So well, I guess we don't know. Um, well, I'll continue reading. Okay. But a couple of other strategies too, Jeff, is that um, you know you could you could hedge the stock because if you have a couple million dollars in gain, but you're only going up to a certain bracket, you're still going to have a lot of stock. Right? It's going to take you several years, right, to diversify out of it if you're just going to go to the top of the fifteen percent tax bracket. Yeah. So I believe that that's the right right tax move. But then Al, you're saying, well, you know, if 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 you're uncomfortable with the risk, just sell it. Don't like, yeah. don't let the tax swayed you from diversifying. Yeah. That that that's what I'm saying. The that you know the so that yeah the fifteen percent so that could, five hundred thousand so it could potentially if you didn't have any other income, it would take about about four years to diversify. Uh, yeah. Uh, or you could use hedging strategies. Yeah. Um, there's option strategies that you can use on highly concentrated positions that you have. Um, we have something on our website. You can go to um, Andy, you put it in the show notes or something like that. I will. Um, yeah. It's a video from Brian Perry called Diversifying Concentrated Stock Positions. So, yeah, that, that's actually a really good strategy because essentially what an option strategy, it sort of, it sort of limits the downside, downside and, and, the, the and the upside both, right? But you don't sell, so it's not taxable and you can sell at your own pace. Now, right. If you're happy with the $2 million, right? right you're, you're, you're going to have that, uh, you're going to be protected from the downside, but there's going to be a cap on the upside. Yeah. So you're not going to have huge appreciation, but you're not also not going to lose your shirt. Right. And, and then you can and do then, a tax. Strategy. Then you can gradually do it over the four year period. I, I, I do like that. All right. We plan on opening a donor advice fund and giving to various charities over the years of retirement. Um, how might this play into offsetting some of the taxes on the sale of stocks? We're thinking of funding this with several hundred thousand dollars, 500 grand. Also, um, how might the timing of doing this, as well as cashing out the individual stock positions, affect our taxes? Uh, you would probably want to give the highly appreciated stock into the donor advised fund because then you get the full value of the stock, $500,000, plus you don't have to sell the stock, and then you get a $500,000 deduction, then you could sell the remaining stock. Yeah. So I think that's a really good idea to kind of offset that. Yeah, I, I do too. That that's that, that would be perfect. And then the second part of this is it's even more valuable if you have some ordinary income, and then you can offset that charitable deduction against ordinary income, which is a higher tax rate. So just think about that. Uh, during retirement, we intend to maximize capital gains withdrawals from our brokerage account. And if I understand the math correctly, we should be able to withdraw $105,000 per year, $80,000 minus the standard deduction from our brokerage account and pay no federal or social security taxes. We will have some state taxes to pay. North Dakota is our home of record. No, we plan on having no earned income during retirement, hence the ability to take $105,000 in gains and pay no taxes. Does this math add up? Uh, yes. It, it does. It to does. Some degree. Although I, I, I do want to make sure for our listeners, it's clear that when we when we talk about taking a hundred, we'll round it to hundred six thousand dollars. So in other words, that's what you're taking out of your brokerage account because then you get the standard deduction and you basically get to the top of the of the 15, 12. 15, yeah, twelve percent bracket, which means the capital gain rates are zero. 
Now, remember this though, is you always get to your basis. In other words, when you sell a stock, if you, if you pay a dollar for it and you sell it for $2, for example, well, you're only paying taxes on half of it on the, on the amount that went up. So in, in that little simple example, if you wanted a hundred, 5,000, let's call it, of gain, then you could actually sell 210,000 of stock to produce that amount of gain. Now, Jeff, I think in your case, it's probably almost all gain. So you can probably just use that figure. Um, but just be aware of that. When we talk about selling certain positions, you're only paying tax on the gain, not the whole amount in a, in a non-qualified, non-retirement account. Yeah. So you would want to look at that type of cash flow analysis as well before you sell the stock all at once, because yeah. you're going to live tax-free basically for life. Right. Um, and then lastly, I drive a 2004 expedition with 113,000 miles. I usually take it out seven weeks a year. Then it's back in the garage for another 45 weeks. I'll leave the keys in the ignition, uh, but you'll have to hook up the battery if you want to use it. <laughs> uh, thanks for the learning and the laughs. Uh, Jeff, P.S., in case you're wondering, the stocks are Visa and Facebook. Okay. I was thinking it was going to be... Uh, I would have guessed Facebook as one, but uh, I would have guessed Apple. Net, Apple, Netflix. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Thanks for the question, Jeff. Congratulations. That video I mentioned, diversifying concentrated stock positions from our director of research and executive vice president, Brian Perry, CFP, CFA, offers some additional suggestions for dealing with that concentrated position, like net unrealized appreciation, options, and callers, regardless of what stock or stocks you're overweighted in. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to watch the video read the transcript of this episode, fill out the YMYW podcast survey, and share the show and the free resources. And don't forget, if it's time for a more personalized analysis, you can schedule a free financial assessment with a certified financial planner professional on Joe and Big Al's team at Pure Financial Advisors right there from the show notes as well. There's no cost and no obligation and no requirement that you be here in California where we are either. Chances are the team at Pure can help you create a plan for a more successful retirement. Go to the show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click get an assessment. JP writes in from California. Please discuss this scenario. Yes, nicely. Please. <laughs> All right. We've got a married yeah. couple, early 70s. Health good for now. On Social Security. Largely retired. No significant earned income, no pensions, joint numbers below. Social Security is $45,000. Uh, RMDs on $1.5 million is $60,000. Brokerage account of $300,000. Um, I'm going to come back to that sentence. Roth IRAs of $500,000. If desired lifestyle asks for more than $105,000 above PY per, per year. year. Yeah. Yes. Puh. Puh. I say puh. <laughs> <laughs> puh above. Uh, 105K pa. Um, above. Above. All right. Where should the extra money be drawn from? IRA, Roth, or brokerage account? How would that answer change with, say, a 10-year? How would that answer change with age? age. Say 10, say years, 10 years hence. Yeah. So when they're in their early 80s. Yes, I get it. I just like say 10 years hence. Okay. 
I'll say 10 years hence. Yeah. <laughs> what if That's a IRA, dad joke, Joe. Jeez. I, I got it. What if IRA Roth and brokerage accounts were doubled those above? Okay. 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 JP. But okay, what is this? I think I know what he means on his brokerage account. So, I, think, I think his cost basis is a hundred thousand, so the gains are two hundred percent of that. I think that's what he means. Three hundred thousand with cap gains of two hundred percent or more. I think if you have to go back to the cost basis and multiply that by two hundred percent, I think I think that's what he's saying. That's that's my read. <laughs> got it. All right, so he's got. <clears throat> so he wants to spend one hundred five thousand dollars. Yeah, which he already has. He's already getting it from Social Security and RMDs, but if he wants to draw extra money, where should it come from? I think that's his question. Okay. So so I think you look at it like this. 105 minus 25 is 80. He's in the 12% tax bracket. Yeah, the top of the 12, although probably only 40,000 of the Social Security is taxable. Mm-hmm. So he's probably 75,000 taxable income, could probably pull out about 5,000 more from his IRA and stay in the 12% bracket. And the other, I don't care whether you take it from your brokerage account, which is capital gains, maybe two thirds of what you pull out is capital gains. One third is return of capital. And that's at a 15% tax. That's not so bad. And then your Roth IRA is tax-free, whatever you want. Yeah, I would I would keep deferring the Roth um, depending on, I guess if you want to spend it, might as well. I mean, that's why you have it in the first place. The yeah. RMD is going to continue to climb on you a little bit. Um, but sort of the tax brackets, they, they go up too. So, sure. I mean, theoretically, they'll go up as your RMDs go up and you'll be in roughly the same place 10 years hence. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. I don't think so. I would want to drain more of the IRA out. Would so, you? yeah, go to the 12 and then continue to, to, to go on top of that. Because if an emergency happens or something like that, or maybe he wants to go on a bigger trip and he wants to spend a hundred grand, then he's got the brokerage account to do that, um, or the Roth. But one point five, let's say now it's three million dollars. Um, his annual Social Security is going to be higher. He's got a million dollars now in Roth, and the brokerage account's at six hundred thousand. Where would he want to pull it then? I would still want to pull it from the RMB just to make sure that I'm, I'm taking advantage of the lowest rates possible, and then pull pull okay. it. I think I would probably just say you're in pretty good shape because <laughs> you're already roughly at the top of the 12% bracket and going to be roughly at the top of whatever the lower bracket is later. So you don't really have to convert, but I get it. I mean, he can convert and be in the 22% bracket and he's got money out of his brokerage accounts to pay for it. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. But that, yours was a lazier answer. You I didn't think, want to do the math. No. <laughs> I'm saying you're, 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 your diversification is pretty good. Yeah. So, I mean, it's better than what we see. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So it's not like you have to go hog wild, right? Got it. Hog wild. You like that expression? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, that, you're from Minnesota. Can you relate? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Can relate. That. We got Mike from DC calling in. He goes, hey, Joe, now big fan. Thanks for everything you guys do. Well, thank you, Mike, for writing in. I have a question about a pension plan for my mother-in-law. She's planning to retire this fall, age 55, soon to be 56, and move in with my wife and me to take care of our daughter instead of using daycare. All right. I don't know. Mike? <laughs> Are you going to give some personal advice? I'm just saying. You're just... 
You have this a, is where it becomes a lifestyle question. You have a concern already? I, I do. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the finances. I got it. I think I know what your concern might be. Saying, Mike, uh, have you thought this one through? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So, in, okay, let's 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 continue on here. Okay. All right, her pension plan with Calpers, uh, California Public Employee Retirement System, is worth about fifty-one thousand. She doesn't have any other savings besides this pension plan, where she has been working for almost fifteen years. My wife and I plan to pay her a monthly amount to take care of her granddaughter, day-to-day cost, and pay for her own expenses, phone, etc. When she moves in with us. What do you think is ideal tax avoiding approach in dealing with the pension plan? Do you suggest withdrawing the lump sum, about a 20% tax hit, defer the payments to a later date if possible, or receive the pension monthly amounts when she retires? Is there another approach? Please let me know. Keep up the amazing work and look forward to your response. All right. So Mike's looking out for mother-in-law. Right. Having her move in. Take care of the little granddaughter. Yep. Have another roommate. It's a, <laughs> it sounds good on paper. So and, Intel. Yeah. <laughs> think about. Look at it. It's going to be great, Grandma, because we can save you money in taxes. That's right. I'll you call know, we, Big and, Al. And we and we <laughs> we would pay daycare anyway. So we'll uh, just pay it to you. Yeah, just pay it to you. I think this makes a ton of sense. <laughs> For the first <laughs> week. Yes, exactly. Mike, right back <laughs> after a month. Let me know how everything is going. All right. Um, so what, what should, what should grandma do here? Should she take the money and run? So if she gets $56,000, I'm assuming she's single. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be taxes. Sure. Um, and at 55, if she retires at 55, if she takes the pension as a lump sum, um, so that it's worth, yeah, worth 51,000. If she took it all, let's say the year after she retired. So there was no salary whatsoever. 51,000 minus the standard deduction would put her in the 12% bracket. So that's not too bad. Plus state of California is probably five. Yeah, so yeah. that's why you're seeing 20% tax hit. Yeah, okay. that's, that's probably about right. So but, 10 grand. So she walks away with 40 grand. Yeah. Um, but, but she doesn't, she doesn't necessarily need it all. So why, why not just take out what you need? She'll be in a low bracket, really low bracket anyway. So let's say, if, yeah, exactly. Or roll it into an IRA without any type of yeah, um, d- tax hit whatsoever. It's, it's not like you have to worry about a big RMD. It's not that big of an amount. Right. So, and we don't know what the payment stream is, so we can't really evaluate whether she should take a payment stream or not. But yeah, I think that's right. You, 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 you roll the 51,000, if that's what the value is uh, into an IRA and take it out as you need it. And she's going to be in a, very low bracket anyway and at 55 she could probably take out i don't know 150 bucks a month so i would look at what the pension is yeah so if there's a guaranteed income higher than that maybe you just take the pension because it's not going to be a ton of of money but it's it's something to you know walking around money for sure sure um so yeah, she needs to roll it and grow it because you're going to kick her out and probably. <laughs> well, wait a minute. She'll be 55, soon to be 56. She probably lived to 90. So this is a, uh, what, a 35-year process here? <laughs> uh, but that's the tax advice. Roll it into an IRA. Uh, there's no tax. Then take it out when you need it. And then you only pay tax on the distributions. Yep. Agreed. Hey, Andy, Big Al and Joe, I'm a 45-year-old submarine Navy veteran living in Jacksonville, Florida. I drive a 2014 silver Toyota Tacoma with $98,000 miles on it. 
My wife and I have two cats, one named Sabrina and the other named Lily. Our financial advisor has a fair amount of customized structured notes in our IRA, Roth IRA, and brokerage accounts. These notes for two years have yielded incredible returns, averaging 26% annually through monthly coupon payments. My wife and I are extremely pleased with the results of these products. We're wondering about the sustainability of this trend. <laughs> I would wonder that too. It's a good, it's a yeah. reasonable question. Well, I don't know. I've been in a submarine with zero air. How long? Can, right. <laughs> at, at some point, you got to come up for air. You do, right? Um, and at some point, these things normalize out. We did our due diligence prior to getting involved with the structure notes, but love your take on them. We constitute roughly 50% of the assets across those individual accounts. Thanks for the great podcast. You all put together and the advice you deliver to the masses. First of all, Lee, thank you for your service as a Navy veteran submarine operator or what? what, what submarine was? Navy veteran. Oh, it's just submarine Navy veteran. Okay. So structured notes. Yeah. It's a good diversifier. To explain what a structured note is, I guess. It depends on, oh, there's thousands of these things. Well, it's, it's kind of, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fixed investment that had, that's based upon the market to some extent. Is that, would that be a way to say it? Well, it, it's, I don't know. Really? I, I what... mean, at least the structured notes I've seen, it's like a bank note, except it's more than the, the normal rate because there's some kind of market type index. I mean, is that a way to say it? Yeah. There, there's a derivative component to yeah. the structured note. Right. Right. Um, or th these could even be um, tied to Real estate, it could be tied to sure. all sorts of different things. Right. Um, it, it, they, they could even be like, um, what am I, like hard money loans even. Could be. Uh, but, but it's generally a fixed income investment that has more than a fixed income component. Is, would that be another way to say it? Sure. It has a kicker um, that could, and, and it might have leverage in it. Yeah. So you could multiply or juice up your overall returns. Right. And the, but if, if I'm looking at this, he's, he's getting phenomenal returns. Yeah, for the past couple of years. And what has the market done over the past couple of years? It's, it's killed it. It's killed it. Yeah. Right. So just be careful of how, if you gave us the structured notes and let us do our due diligence, we could probably do a segment on what these notes are and what's the good and the bad and the ugly of them. We've done that multiple times. People send in like their annuity contracts and things yeah. like that. So Lee, uh, just because you are a Navy veteran, just send me what, what the heck you're invested in. We could give you our opinion on them. But yeah, it, do your due diligence on every investment. Some are really good. Some are really bad. Some might look good just because of how they're structured in certain market environments. Is the ride going to be over at some point? Yes. The yeah. markets will turn. This is not guaranteed returns here. Yeah. And it's if you have a concern about it, it's being sustainable, it's yeah, it's not going to do 26% every year. Absolutely not. Um, but you're 45 years old. What the hell? Let it ride. How is your investment mix and why is it like that? Learn the ways to grow your investments in all market environments, how to avoid poor investment decisions, and how to protect yourself from risk. Download eight timeless principles of investing for free from the podcast show notes just before the transcript of today's episode. It'll help you feel more confident in your portfolio even when markets are volatile. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes and download eight timeless principles of investing. Investing. And of course, you can also ask Joe and Al your money questions, find out what the fellas think about a particular investment or 
or even get life advice from Joe. We can't promise it'll be good advice. Uh, Al, Andy, and Joe, it's Jeremy from Cookerville. Thank you. He was just waiting for you. It's just a thing now, right? It is. It's part of the stick. I'm still doing my supply chain thing here while selling boats on the side. This this is the guy that's like sells like four thousand boats and makes like yeah two bucks eighty bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Loves it though, but he's killing it on the supply chain thing. I think he's. I think maybe he's looking for something else too. Maybe I don't know. Let's find out. Let's see what he's up to. I'm 43 now. Okay. (laughs) Now it's like he's been listening to us for like (laughs) ten years. (laughs) It's been a long time. Uh, now I plan to retire to part-time work at 55. All right. You're on track there, Jeremy. My ideal part-time situation would be to continue to buy and sell the boats, but also work as a financial coach, advisor, planner. Ooh, interesting. Competitor. I don't know. Is he applying for a job? Maybe. I picture myself working about 20 hours a week. All right. Just like Big Al. (laughs) I would love that. I think that would fit as a financial coach, maybe not an advisor or a planner. Uh, What is a financial coach? Somebody Uh, who has absolutely no uh, certification is my guess. (laughs) I I think of, um, you know, like a trainer at the gym, or I think of a, like a life coach. Come on, you could do this. Just save an extra $50. (laughs) That's right. You could do this. You want to talk about it? Every what's, what's what's got you down, Al? That's your right. finances. Let's chat about it. Thank you, Joe. I've been wanting to. <laughs> That's a coach. I got it. All right. I would hate that job. <laughs> uh, I picture myself working twenty hours a week between the two, and imagine that uh, both would allow for a lot of flexibility with my schedule. Yes, a lot of flexibility there, and very little, if any, income. Uh, I plan to move into financial services career around age 50 once my house is paid off and kids' college saving is completed. I'd also like to be able to work for a company that will allow me to roll my current 401k so that I can potentially start drawing it down at 55 if needed. Here's my question. What steps can I take now to make myself a good candidate for a new employer in the financial services business? My current employer has a tuition reimbursement program that I can take advantage of if needed classes or degrees needed. I have a bachelor's in general studies, all right, from a small school in Oklahoma in 20 plus years of experience, of course, in the supply yeah, chain. We did know that. I mean, that's all you need, Jerry. Right? <laughs> if you're a supply chain manager, you could just did do we it. did we ever figure out what a supply chain manager was? Yeah, he, uh, he, he manages the <laughs> like chain the office of supplies. supplies. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and now more recently, IT and database administration. I don't know what the educational work experience requirements are for an entry-level position in the financial services space. I can tell you that I would be looking for positions starting around 60K a year. It would be open to everything from financial analytics to advising, etc. Any thoughts or suggestions? 60K a year would be a significant pay cut, which is why I want to wait until my house is paid off and uh, the college is funded. What you got for me? All right. I got a few things for you, Jeremy. Uh, I would go to, there's a couple of schools that you could go online um, that has the CFP designation schooling. So if you got tuition reimbursement, there's... um, San Diego State, of course, is in our backyard. Sure. Um, you could go to the American College. You could go to the College of Financial Planning. 
you could go to um, like Cal Lutheran is in, in California that specializes in like financial planning or financial services. Got it. And you can do those online. Probably? You can do those online. Yeah. Yes. Cool. You take one class at a time. Um, it depends on how, like, if you just want to self-study, then I think, you know, the college of financial planning or the American college is really good. You're going to get a book and you can do it all online and read and do it at your own pace. Right. If you need a little bit more instruction, like I do, right. The self-study kind of, it's a little hard. It, it does. You get home and that, that fridge is filled with Coors Light. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I, I walk through my garage when I, when I get home and it's like, I got a book or do I, you would have to like lock that, that refrigerator. That, yes, it's right? terrible. So I'm like, okay, um, I need some discipline. I need some accountability. So I liked more of having the, a class where, you know, you would have assignments that you would have to turn in and, and things like that. So right. someone to hold you accountable. Got it. So I would definitely do that. You're 43 years old. You got plenty of time to do that. Um, you could probably bust out, the whole program in a couple of years, uh, depending on how fast or slow. We have a pretty advanced program with our newer advisors that are trying to, uh, that that might have a finance degree that are coming just out of college that are might be new to the industry. Uh, we fast track them to get their CFPs and we can usually get them passed within um, a year to, to, to 18 months. Uh, but if you want to take it slow, take it slow, take two or three years. Uh, just a comprehensive exam is pretty difficult. Uh, so you would want to do a review course. Um, the faster you do it, the better, just because it's all right there. You know what I mean? If you take yeah. one class one year and then another class next year, it, you know, the, the comprehensive exam, uh, exam would be pretty challenging. Do you, do you have to have a degree in finance before you can do the CFP or can yeah, you they changed the rules or the, um, I don't know how many years ago, but yeah, you, you need a bachelor's degree to have a certified financial planning designation. And he okay. does. Well, he's got a bachelor's in general studies. So that counts. Sure. It's a bachelor's. Okay. okay. So any bachelor's and then you can go get your CFP. Yeah. What, well, what, what was your bachelor's in? Uh, Philosophy. So, yeah. Sociology. So, yeah. Right. General I'm, studies. I'm a sociologist now. Yeah. Right. Didn't you know that? Yes. So no. What about yours, Joe? Uh, finance. Got it. Okay. Any other questions? There? <laughs> nope. It's just good. Well, I, actually, I do have a question. Yes. Would somebody who is a CFP be able to do uh, a job as a financial planner and as a uh, boat turnaround guy for 20 hours a week total between the two? No, not a chance. <laughs> uh, not even close. Because if you're starting out in the business, depending on really what you want to do, right? If you want to be a financial advisor, you're going to have to work probably 90 hours a week for the first several years just to build your business. Yeah, to get the training and build your business. Right. So 20 hours a week is really not going to cut it. I think Jeremy really enjoys this though. So because he listens to the podcast, he's written in it several times. You bet. And I he he enjoys the material. So for him, maybe working that won't be that big of a deal because if you really have a passion for something, you know, you might go it 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 probably beats the hell out of a, a supply chain manager or an IT database administration. I mean, I'm just falling asleep saying that. <laughs> can you now if you're if you're new to the industry, could you get a job for 60 grand? Yeah. Okay. I think if you have a certified financial planning, does it, you can't get it without any type of experience. Sure. So he could do some internships, let's say. Okay. Right. Um, and say, hey, you know what? I'm I'm in my 40s. I'm gonna um, be a career changer. I'm just looking to tap into the industry. Got it. And look around Cookerville and see how many registered investment advisors there are. Okay. So you could go to RIA um, 
and, and look up RIA in my area. And then I would start cold calling these people and say, hey, I'm looking to get into the industry. Do you mind if I uh, can I take you out to lunch? Can I buy a cup of coffee? How about a Coors Light? Sit down, chat with you a little bit. I'm, I'm studying for my certified financial planning designation. And then you can start networking and getting to meet people. If you just like the job and want to be in, in it, like a planner or an analyst in the background, sure. Then you could work probably 40 hours a week. You could team up with uh, maybe a really small independent firm and say, hey, I'm looking to work 20 hours a week. I'll do some financial planning for you. I'll do this, this and that, whatever. I mean, you could probably find it if you really work at it. Um, but you're just not going to waltz into the industry. You know what I mean? at 50 and say, okay, I want to make 60 grand a year, work 20 hours a week, and I'm going to build my boats and I'm going to do this and, and, and start making demands because yeah, right. it's a, it's a profession. Right. Um, yeah. It, just like any profession. We're, what, we're trying hard to make it a profession. What's, what's that book? Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours to become an expert in, in, in anything. So that's five years of, of continuous uh, work and study. Yeah. I got probably a hundred thousand in. in I know you still do. terrible. <laughs> That's why we're practicing. We're practicing. Yeah. This is practice for us here. Yes, it is. Uh, Jeremy, good luck with that. If you want more, um, I guess, resources, you know where to find us. And um, hopefully we can point you in the right direction. It's a phenomenal career. Uh, very rewarding in, in all aspects of the job. So um, there you go. All right. Well, thanks for your questions this week, folks. Uh, appreciate you. Tuning in, writing in, giving us um, some, some fodder, some stuff to talk about. Thank you. It's not all Roth. It's we're getting some diversification. We in are questions. I like that. Yeah. What kind of questions do you want to answer, Joe? And now all, all questions are good. Yeah, These, it doesn't matter. Anything related to finance. Joe even will answer lifestyle questions. I will. I will answer lifestyle questions. I That's will right. Have about, you tried the Landshark beer yet? Or Swing Lube? Oh, you tried it? Swing Lube. That's my that was my recommendation. Oh, got it. Okay. Swing I thought you were said you were going to try it. Swing Lube? Yeah. Yes, I drink Swing Lube. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So, but what did you think about the Land Shark? Land Shark is a very tasty beer. That's all you got to say? That's We're going to do a whole say. segment just based on that? Well, no, because I thought people would say, hey, you know, let's say Gloria. My name is really not Gloria from San Antonio, Texas, and I like Bloody Marys at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday. <laughs> And then I'd be like, okay, here's my question. We would like to retire on, you know. Got it. Okay. That's well, I think I think what you want to hear is what what people are doing when they're listening to our program. That, that's why. Except can... for if you're like having a romantic dinner with your spouse, you just keep that crap yourself. <laughs> well, like if you're cleaning the garage, you can tell us that. Or if you're having cocktail hour and you like to listen to the yeah, tell us what you're drinking. Yeah, maybe you need a cocktail to listen. To maybe this I think so. Okay, that's it. Uh, thank you, Andy. Great job, Big Al. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, we'll see you guys next week. Show's cut your money well. A huge derail about submarines, aircraft carriers, and MRI machines, and what a supply chain manager does, coming up at the end of the episode. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click that Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 to schedule your free financial assessment at a time and date that's convenient for you. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.
Could you imagine being in a submarine? No. I, I'd get so claustrophobic. How many years? I would go stir crazy. <laughs> How about, I mean, we have the the midway here in San Diego. Yeah. You've been there, right? Yes, I have. Well, didn't you go with yeah. Mikey? Yeah, well, Mikey wants me to go, but no. I, I, I went with Mikey. I know you did. Oh, yeah. you never, oh, you bagged on that trip, I huh? did. Yeah, and yeah. I, I still need to go with Mikey. Yeah, so we went, and he was a Navy pilot yeah. that landed on the aircraft here. Sure. And so he took us a behind-the-scenes tour of the Midway. Right. I mean, we had... Which is not a submarine, by the way. I understand that. <laughs> I was just getting to it. Okay, just I know what an aircraft what, carrier where, where, where is, where and you I know going. what a submarine is. like, oh, I wonder if he thinks that's a submarine. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying, I went on the back. We, we got a VIP tour. Yeah, yeah, right. Super, and and you got to, you got to see where everyone stayed. Yeah, right in the bunk beds. Right, right, and it's like, oh my god, I'm and I'm six four, right? I thought you said you got slapped. I, you said well, you slept. No, where they slept. Yeah. I was got looking. It. No, and I and I saw it. I, I saw it on my own tour without Mikey. Oh, well, I thought that's, I was. That's why. Much. That's that's why I was. Well, it's, that's why I was less interested in Mikey's tour because I'd already just been. But you could go really behind the scenes. I could. I <laughs> see the real bunk beds, not, really, not just the ones yeah, I saw. Yeah, not the fake ones. Yeah, got right, it. You could see the real ones. Got it. But just a living court. I mean, how many people like were living on that ship, right? A lot. Okay. Yeah. So super tight quarters there, but it's wide open. Right. And you can go on deck yes, and get some fresh air. Exactly. Think about being in an effing submarine. I can't. It's, it's It would not be for me, I'll tell you that. I had to get an MRI. Right, and I Andy was ta- talking me off the ledge. Yeah, right. I was like, okay, what do I do? I heard it. You know, I was I was fine going into this MRI. She, she's like, well, it's like being in the submarine. She's like, are you claustrophobic? I was like, of course not. And then I was like, well, maybe I am. I don't know if I am. She was like, I've never done an MRI before. I'm not really sure. I was like, help me out, Andy. What should I do? She right, comes okay. out. He goes, yeah, I was fine. Take a deep breath. Maybe talk to your doctor if you want to get some medication. Right. Or, you know, it's not it's not that bad. I sure. get MRIs. It's okay if I can do it. You, you know, she was very helpful okay but living in an mri machine <laughs> nope. well, i don't think it's quite that tight but it, you, you get the idea oh lee god bless you yeah yeah my cousin was in the submarine he was a welder fire oh, he was oh yeah if you're a welder on a submarine you don't have to be on it no you're welding seven. inside oh you're, oh he's on it he's on inside you're, job you're not yeah you're not getting he's, scuba he's, gear he's plugging the leaks <laughs> On the inside. Let me, let me fix this one. Here. On the inside of the boat. Got it. Um, okay. To answer the question of what the heck a supply chain manager does, there you go. Responsible, Responsible for, for integrating, optimizing, optimizing all processes and steps to produce, produce a product. product. Got it. So it's like manufacturing, I guess. Involved in every stage of getting a product to a customer from purchase of raw materials to the delivery of the final product. There you go. Okay. Logistics. Now I know. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, good to know. <laughs> <laughs>